0: This is Coach Kevin Furtado. Welcome to Episode 116 of the Championship Vision Podcast. Today, uh, we have Coach Rich Sheslosky. Coach Shes has been the head coach at his alma mater, Crystal Lake Central High School in Crystal Lake, Illinois, since 2006. He began coaching in 1995 as a sophomore at Arizona State University and fell in love with the profession. He returned home in 1998 and worked in the IT department for an elementary school district while serving as an assistant at CLC. He then spent two years at Jetson University as network administrator and assistant coach before returning to CLC in 2003 as tech coordinator and assistant coach. In 2006, he was named head coach at CLC and began to rebuild a program that had not had a winning season in seven years. After steady improvement, the Tigers hit their stride and routed off three consecutive 20-plus win seasons, going 71-15 over the next three years. Rich left the Tech Coordinator position in 2009 to work at Fast Model Sports, but remained the head coach at CLC. He worked there until 2012 when Better Basketball tabbed him as their CEO. After a successful four years at Better Basketball, Rich took on a new role with Pure Sweat Basketball as their COO and founded a basketball marketing and management consulting firm called Basketball Worldwide, Incorporated. He is a regular speaker on the basketball clinic circuit, including presentations for USA Basketball, TBG Sports Group, PGC, Glazer, the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association, the Missouri Basketball Coaches Association, the Basketball Coaches Association of New York, and several clinics and camps in Belgium and London. Rich also serves... As a treasurer and communication director for the IBCA, Illinois' Basketball Coaches Association, executive director of USA Basketball Youth Development Program, the Crystal Lake Youth Model for Basketball, and as a member of the NHSBCA Court of Honor, Rich lives in Crystal Lake, Illinois, with his wife, Molly, son, Jimmy, and daughter, Jordan. Coaches, let's welcome Coach Shez to Rich Shazlowski of Pure Sweat Basketball rich welcome hello
1: good morning coach hey kevin how are you good good can you hear me yeah yeah can hear you fine
0: absolutely rich thank you so much for joining us i know you're a busy guy um i'm not sure how much basketball right now you're teaching but uh uh i really want to kind of get an update on what you guys are doing right now but hey tell me um I I read so much about your story and and kind of your journey and so forth through coaching. Tell us, kind of tell us, start from the ground up and how you created a uh, this great passion for the game as a youth and and how you created this love for the game.
1: You know, it was interesting. It was a it was an injury. Uh, I tore my ACL at the end of my junior year, and um, I kind of spent the rest of my playing career, so to speak, being a player coach. I really You know, I I couldn't do the things that I had done previously back then. I mean, this is the mid-90s, so ACL injuries took a lot longer to to recover from. And uh, I was able to, you know, chart plays and things for football senior year, but I couldn't play yet. Basketball, I just wasn't back yet. Uh, But I remember over that summer uh, having the the team over to – we had a court in our backyard, and we ran practices and skill sessions and things like that there that summer. And then, when I went to college, I went to Arizona State University, and a buddy of mine was just going to apply to be like an intramural coach at a, a local junior high at Hendricks junior high and He asked me if I wanted to go with, so i did and i mean i I ended up coaching i believe a seventh grade B team or something out on uh, uh concrete courts with you know steel rims and chain <laughs> chain nets and And it didn't matter to me. And I, the first, the first game that we played where I saw a kid do something that I had taught him in practice, I kind of fell in love and, and realized, you know what, this is, this is what I want to do. This is, I want to, I want to teach the game to, to, to players. And then through that started going to coaching clinics and things of that nature. And I think that's really where my passion grew. To the point it is now, because I, I remember being at one of the very first. I've I've gone to the Final Four, obviously not this year, but I've gone to the Final Four for like 21 straight Final Fours, uh, and I go for the coaching convention, not so much for the games. And yeah, sure. uh, I remember one of the very first conventions I was at. I was sitting there listening to a speaker and taking notes, and there's a guy in front of me just writing furiously, and he's got all these you know pieces of paper falling out of his uh, big binder that he had with him, and I mean this guy was was into it, and at the end of the I kind of just peeked around. I wanted to see who the guy was. He stood up and turned around. It was Don Meyer, <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, "Man, right. this guy is like the <laughs> one of the coaching legends, on the Mount Rushmore of coaches." And here he is, uh, trying to get as much as he can from another coach as possible. And to me, that that just kind of shaped uh, my view of of uh, of teaching the game, not just the players, but to other coaches as well.
0: Yeah, and what a special person Don Meyer was. I mean, and Are there, is he a dinosaur now? Because do you see, still see a lot of coaches who are really hungry for knowledge? Because I mean, right now, don't you think, Rich, this is a perfect time for us coaches not only to stay healthy, we got to stay quarantined and so forth, but to really kind of get in and really kind of expand our knowledge base, right?
1: Yeah, you know, I've always thought that the basketball coaching community, maybe more so than any other, is the most willing to share, the most willing to, uh, you know, speak at clinics and attend clinics and try to get things. There's, there's a, I don't want, necessarily want to say there's less ego uh, in our coaching profession than other ones, but there certainly is more of a, a willingness to share. And right now you're seeing all kinds of cool stuff pop up and and people trying to help each other get better. And uh, I think that's what makes the the basketball coaching profession so special. Um, At the same time, there's a flip side to that is you also see people that want to kind of take advantage of things. And uh, there's, there's stuff that pops up. that's like, I mean, come on, that's not even (laughs) that. that, that, Is that real? And, and, but people make money off of it. So uh, there is a, there's a marketplace for it. uh, That's for sure. And, it's not easy to always sift through uh, who's got quality stuff and who doesn't. And and look, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure, I think, is the saying. Some things may work sure. for you that don't, that don't work for somebody else. And so I'm not saying there's, there's you know, only certain people to listen to. But I think you have to be a little more discerning because you're seeing all kinds of it's like a it's just just floodgates right now with everybody being uh, stuck at home and trying to figure out what they're going to do with their time. Uh, which I think is a good thing. I think it creates opportunities for not only for people who are trying to learn, but it creates opportunities for people who are trying to teach because uh, I've always said, I don't think you really know something until you can teach it to somebody else. And so I think what you're going to find during these times are the really good teachers are going to start to stand out above everybody else.
0: Yeah. Cause right now, of course I I'm a PE teacher. I'm a K five PE teacher and we're, we, you know, we're doing online learning um, which I think for PE is kind of difficult, but yeah, I'm telling you, I'm getting some great responses, even though we're doing everything online, all the kids, the parents, you know, they got to do at least 30 minutes of activity uh, every single day. and It's amazing. The activities that the, the parents and everything and what they're saying that they're doing, um, which I think is cool because I think you can take what we do in the classroom and now apply it to their daily lives. I think it's really cool.
1: Yeah. Well, my, my observation where I live is, I've seen a lot more families out on walks and bike rides and things right now. And obviously that's the curb cabin fever, but uh, it's not, yeah. <laughs> it's not, a, it's not been a, not been a bad thing to see more people outside uh, doing stuff together and our weather's not even good yet. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and Hey, go back to kind of when you were growing up, I had a great coach named Andy Locatelli. I, you might even remember him. And Carol Williams, they were the coaches at Santa Clara university where i grew up in california and they had a tremendous impact on me they used to you know really develop a relationship with the campers that go to their camp and i remember them to their day and of course andy has passed and so forth and i think carol williams actually still alive um they had a tremendous impact and i still remember them today which coach kind of took you aside and said that really took care of you and said hey, you know, maybe one day you can be a coach or just you saw in him what you wanted to be now.
1: Well, I, I was lucky, very, very fortunate. And I think this is another part of what made me love it so much. But I, I played for multiple Hall of Fame coaches in high school in football, basketball, and baseball. Um, I was fortunate enough to, when I was in college, I worked the, the uh, Bill and Paul Westfall basketball camp in Prescott, Arizona. Uh, nice. I worked a, uh, an original uh, point guard college camp with Dick where I was the only coach there, uh, it was back in his old model. And I, and I, I mean, I, I, the things that I was able to do, the people I was able to be around that kind of helped bring that coach out in me. Um, I, I mean, I, I, there's too many to name, uh, Jay Sargent though was one who he was my, he was my high school baseball coach and he was, he hired me for my first coaching job and he's been a mentor of mine for years. And then Ray Card, who is a uh, well-known note taker in the basketball coaching world, as uh, another guy who's been a great mentor for me. But the big thing for me is just being able to learn from as many people as I was able to learn from. I I never really went into situations kind of acting like I had it down and, and knew it all, and I think that served me well. And I'm not saying it's, you know, I, I think I just got lucky. Uh, I, I see a lot of young coaches these days that they ask a question and then they want to jump in and tell you what they, they know before you finish answering it. And it's, it's, right. you know, it's, it's one of those things that just curbs – uh, your ability to learn. And so I think I was lucky to be able to, I, I've had a kind of a knack for asking good questions. And, you know, and at those final fours that I went to, I would always have, uh, I learned this the first year I went, I was standing, I was in an elevator uh, going up to my room and um, Jim Beheim was in the elevator. And I was just like, just starstruck at that point. You know, I'm 20, 21 <laughs> years old or something. And I'm like, man, I, I get out of the elevator. I didn't even say anything other than hi. And I walked out. I'm like, man, it'd be smart for me to have a couple of questions in my back pocket when we see these guys. Just quick ones, question pieces, that type of thing. So I started doing that at Final Fours. I'd have a, I'd have a few questions that I was just kind of that were kind of burning. And uh, if I ran into one of those guys, I'd just try to make small talk and ask them, Hey, can I ask you real quick and get their take on it? And it led to some amazing conversations over the course of you know 20 plus years of going to the Final Four.
0: Yeah. And I've heard you so many times that um, I think about the last one was, I think it was a point guard college clinic in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm trying to recall the clinic and you had some, you had a great topic. I think, I think at the time you were talking about how coaches, how we can have more balance in our life. I think that was the topic, Rich. I think, and I absolutely love that because you were talking about things that most people don't talk about, which I think is, Really important because most of us coaches are obsessed with our our uh, our craft, right? So, hey, kind of go into that a little bit, kind of refresh me on that topics. So I think it's really important. Sure, uh,
1: you've just mean in terms of building a program and being able to kind of stick around and. Uh, enjoy yes. It? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, so, and, and I'm trying to remember exactly which presentation that was because there's <laughs> several, but uh, I think the main thing yeah. is in terms of building a program, we kind of broke it down to like the ABCs uh, of building a program and. Uh, We we started with accounting for the A, and then it was basketball. So accounting would be finances, things of that nature. Basketball would be the tactics. Uh, C was connections, and you know I would throw in uh, that's that's your relationships, which is a key piece. Right. Uh, I think most people nowadays, if you say what is your letter C, they're going to just throw culture in there, and I think kind of these all five of these things, or actually I'm going to add a bonus one, a sixth one, kind of speak to your culture. Uh, but the C would be connections. D is development, um, players, staff, and self-development. Uh, e would be expectations. And then I would throw in a bonus one, um, usually fives, but I would throw in a bonus sixth one of F uh, is family. And so we kind of try to break things into those different areas. And, you know, just simple things like with accounting, with with finances, <laughs> you've got to be able to understand how to budget and use money in your particular environment. Otherwise, that's the quickest way to the door. If you mismanage money, they're not going to need many excuses to get rid of you as a coach. So you have to understand that and you have to understand how fundraising works and is perceived because one of the big mistakes a lot of schools make is that they'll have all these different programs doing fundraisers at the same time and you know, kids going door to door, which I think is crazy and dangerous, but everybody's hitting people up in the community for money. Uh, We try to take a different approach and have our kids work for it. So we would try to find projects they could do over the summer, or we would run our own summer league, that type of thing, and have the kids work it. Uh, We would run tournaments and have the kids work it to kind of raise the money through work, which I think gave a a feeling of, of earning to the kids. Um, And then and years we did well, I think things that, uh, that make a lot of sense is, you know, go go spread the wealth a little bit because if you do really well in raising money and you know there are other uh, programs out there maybe that are struggling, they could do things for you for, like for game management. I mean, if you think about it, you could uh, hire the baseball team to film your games or hire the the swim team to be hosts when another team comes to your school or, you know, hire the, the tennis team to uh, run halftime entertainment, you know, that type of thing. I think there's stuff that you can do once you start doing well that then spreads to the rest of the athletic department and the rest of the uh, school community that can really help your program. Uh, In terms of basketball tactics, that's just, you have, you have to stay on top of things. This is what you're talking about. So we're so, we're so interested as coaches a lot of time in our craft that we put the blinders on and we just want to learn the new offense or the latest defense or the latest rebounding drill or, I want to go to a clinic and get as many ideas that I can use in practice as possible. Um, and, you know, that topic that I did and those clinics that PGC and Glazier put on together um, for one, and, and there are others like this, they, they tried to have a big component of the rest of it. You know, for me, the basketball tactics part is one, one piece of this. It's uh, you know, it's one of five or six things that you have to worry about. You have to be a good coach. <laughs> you have to understand the game. You have to really, Uh, Take the time to study the game. You have to really take the time to study teaching. I think that's important as well. Um, But without question, the basketball tactics have to be there. You know, what you're going to do for game prep, how how are you going to run practices? Those things are all real important. Have I lost you yet? Are we still good?
0: (laughs) No, no. And that's great. I Um, love it. And I, um, Because I I was going to ask you later on, and it'll probably overlapped on, uh, your top five for building a program. Oh, this is all yeah, part yeah, of it, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that
1: to you. yeah, we can we can summarize at the end. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, and
0: the, and you're going to, connections, yeah. right? You're gonna, um, but you're saying the basketball part, and I'm guilty of this. Um, that's where most coaches kind of delve into, and we really need to expand our horizon and be more versatile as coaches, yes. right? Uh,
1: not just not see. I think one of the tactics I used was every summer we would try to, and this kind of goes to development, but I'll skip ahead just to that for a second. Uh, We would try to pick an area of the game that we wanted to become a quote unquote expert in. And so maybe one year I would take shooting and one of my assistants would take rebounding and another assistant would take um, on ball defense, you know, that type of thing. And we would just try to learn as much as we could about that topic for an entire summer and then get back together in the fall and kind of share what we learned and, go through, hey, this is, these are the new things out there. What do we think of this? We'd pick it apart. We'd throw it on the board, see what we liked, and then decide what we wanted to change. And, and you know, that's, to me, over the course of, you know, 13 years as a head coach and another seven or eight as an assistant, uh, I think I probably started doing that 15 years ago. Uh, you got to become a quote-unquote expert in a lot of different areas. And the cool thing, the cool thing right. is something I did maybe 10 years ago. I could pick again this summer, and there'd be all kinds of new stuff out there. Uh, so, you know, the basics, the, the basics don't change. There's, there's still things that are going to stay the same and the way you do things and the fundamentals, um, they, they stay the same, but there's, there's new ways to teach them. Uh, and there's new tactics that, that maybe speak differently to today's kid than they did to kids a decade ago. So that, yeah,
0: and, yeah, go, I'm sorry, go ahead. I mean,
1: that kind of, that kind of spoke to the development piece. Um, and I, I think staff development, I think player development, having a plan for the players uh, and having a plan yourself i I think you have to um you have to know what it is you want to study otherwise you can get overwhelmed very very quickly there are you know there's there's so many ideas and one of the great pieces of advice i got early early on in my career is get all the good ideas but don't try to do all the good ideas because you just you can't do everything you want to do especially in your first year as a coach
0: and that's easy to do right rich i mean because let's say you know i mean even back in the days you know you you would go to a, um, you know, a Don Meyer clinic, which I went to a lot of them and so forth. Um, you know, you can't, you can't apply, but he had some great, great teaching points and so forth. I, I would apply more emphasis type things. I would not make a lot of changes, but there's certain things that you can emphasize more, maybe a quote or maybe just a um part of your basketball language or your program you can adjust yeah
1: i've always gone into clinics looking for different ways to say things and you know that whole thing where you're teaching something to your kids and and you know it's taken a year or two and they're starting to get it a little bit but then you have a guest speaker come in and he says the same exact thing without any prompting and all of a sudden the the kids (laughs) are like oh yeah yeah coach says that and then all of a sudden it gives it credibility lends it credibility and uh, they start, you know, they start paying more attention to it. But I think that finding different ways to, to speak to kids is, is important as well. And keeping in touch with how they're learning in class, you know, the, the online learning now that we're starting to see and the, the smart board learning and the different tactics that the educational systems using, you know, that's what they're become accustomed to. And so you got to start figuring out how can I apply this to my teaching of basketball?
0: Yeah, and and then you went on to your, uh, as far as connections go, and this is why I do the podcast, I I connect to some great coaches like yourself, and I'm so blessed to get this opportunity to pick your brain and all these other coaches. Um, So do you think coaches need to kind of get out and – meet other coaches and share the game
1: and the the connections piece I mean that's that one's kind of in the middle of these five and it's the it's the pillar I mean it is the most important because for us connections didn't just it it was it's another way to say relationships obviously but I do a clinic presentation talking about how connections are so much more important than contacts and that's something that a lot of young coaches don't understand you know they think the number of business cards that they can hand out is going to is going to get them a job it has nothing to do with with the business cards you hand out and the contacts you make, it has to do with who you connect with. So if you go to a clinic and hand out 500 business cards, but you, you know, versus connecting with maybe three people really connecting with them, that makes all the difference in the world. Well, this connections area for coaching, and especially in building a program, it applies to connecting with your players, connecting with future players that aren't in your program yet. Uh, so at the high school level that can be feeder kids and at the college level, it can be recruits. Um, your coaching staff. And I, for me, I put coaching kind of in a coaching community. So it's not just your staff, but coaches from other programs as well, because you can learn an awful lot uh, about the game, just talking to other people. I've always said live event clinics, um, you know, have struggled in, in recent years in terms of attendance and participation. Uh, but it's not just the speakers you go listen to. It's the people you talk to about the speakers afterward at dinner, or, you know, at the bar or whatever, wherever you go uh, at these clinics. And so I think connections with players, future players, your coaching staff, and then the, the real key one these days would be the administration and the faculty. You have to find ways to have good connections with them. Um, the faculty are, you know, they're they're in it with you. <laughs> they're they're dealing with the same problems at the school you're coaching at. Uh, they're trying to find different ways to reach kids. You know that that's a great group. And then the administration. If you if you don't have good connections with your administration, you're not going to last very long. Uh, and that goes from everything from getting gym time to you know those younger those future players to you know parent phone calls and how they're going to handle those those things are really important Uh, so that's another connection and the last piece inside connections is our i call it community and you know that's alumni that's parents that's local businesses Uh, you have to have connections with all these different areas to have a really strong program
0: yeah and i um i think you mentioned about clinics rich and i uh i run I started a clinic about four years ago called the Legends Clinic, and I invite all the, all the top high school coaches in, in Georgia to come and also around the state. Man, it's hard to get, I mean, I'm talking about really good coaches. It's hard to get people in yeah. the gym. I mean, you almost, and now is, but you mentioned a good point because all my clinic speakers absolutely love it because they get to now meet other other coaches from other programs and they have like long lasting relationships for a long time. How can we fill the gym more with these live clinics? I mean, what can we do as high school coaches to
1: increase that? Well, unfortunately right now we can't do anything because, because we're, we're not supposed to be <laughs> exactly. um, Once that dies, right. down, though, I, I think that the thing that for me really needs to change is it, to get more people in the seats is you need to stress those, those connections at the clinic. So a lot of times, you know, you sit in the bleachers and you you get, you sit there all day and you you know, you're in there for eight hours with a few bathroom breaks and you get bleach your butt and you just listen, 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 listen. I think making it more interactive, not just between speakers and the attendees, but the attendees and the attendees, I think will be more powerful. I think it'll make people want to go back, for more so rather than maybe sit in the bleachers for eight hours you know maybe it's all breakout groups and the these these speakers come in and they've got to do a little bit longer commitment which i know is going to be hard to do with some of the big names but having it be more of a personal experience where you know you're, you're getting eight to ten guys in a room with them or maybe it's 20 to 30 and it's a little more intimate experience and they're getting to ask questions and be interactive i think that's that's going to be more valuable. I think that human connection, when, you know, when we come out of this whole thing here, that human connection is going to be something people are really missing. Um, and, and so I think that'll be a big piece of it. But the other thing is it's, it's hard to get through to is sometimes that what you're looking for may not be on the internet. And I think that's just this kind of the sign of the times we may need to go more online learning. There may need to be more online clinics, more virtual clinics, like what Lason Perkins is doing right now. Um, Yeah. Lason's doing a great job. I've known that guy forever. I love him. He he and I were at fast model together a long, long time ago. And um, it's, it's one of those things where we constantly as coaches have to reevaluate what we're teaching and how we're teaching. This is one of those, how we're teaching it situations. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to find out it's not that hard to get a crowd together on the Internet uh, and run a clinic. And that, again, will be fraught with both pros and cons. Uh, but what we need to do is decide, OK, when we're allowed to get back together again, what are the pieces that you just don't get from an online clinic? And there are going to be plenty of those. I think that human interaction and connection is where growth really um, happens exponentially. And to me, that's what's, what we have to we have to get back to once, once all this dies down.
0: I love that. Hey, Rich, give me some feedback on this. I have, um, I have a friend of mine who's, um, a, you know, really, really great coach out here in Georgia and his son is a video producer. We're looking to get into uh, really, really film high school coaches in the area and really kind of delving into what they do. I would think, an online clinic presentation live on court, not, maybe not even live, maybe, maybe video. I think that that's, there's a need for that. Like you mentioned. Um,
1: yeah. One, and maybe, well, I was, yeah, yeah I was, go ahead. I so was give some say, one, back one of the on. pr- projects that I'm trying to do with Pure Sweat locally, uh, cause we've got a gym now. Uh, we're talking to some of the local coaches about having them come in and create video projects for them on how they'd like their feeder program to teach what they teach. And so you, know, you, you get all these feeder coaches in for maybe a two hour clinic and, and guys miss something or someone's got to go to the bathroom and misses a topic of that. And, and it's just it's not enough, you know, two hours uh, on a Saturday afternoon in the fall to get them ready for an entire season is not enough. So we're talking about doing some video projects where, hey, this is how we teach uh, closing out. This is how we teach on ball defense. This is. Uh, how we believe you should set a screen and read a screen and those types of things and let those guys really kind of pour all of their knowledge into a video format that they can then distribute to these guys that are going to be coaching their, you know, third through eighth graders.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely necessary on that. And we're real, actually we're really looking into doing that. Uh, cause I think video is the way, cause you can go back, you can rewind, you can go back particularly today with, I mean, it's so, it, it's really kind of simple. And I think kids and, and coaches are, are, they can learn a lot. The access to your information think is a yeah. lot easier, yeah. right?
1: I, I mean, I, and I, I just think that's one of those things where um, it probably will change a little bit from year to year because coaches are always reinventing how they're doing things. Uh, but getting it down doesn't have to take a ton of time. I mean, you could probably teach most of it uh, and it doesn't have to be super well-produced even, you know, I mean, I, I think it, I think it's cool when it's, when it's well-produced, but honestly, you know, you go to a clinic and you're watching a speaker and you're getting all this great stuff. And it's not like they're not tripping over themselves, occasionally speaking. I mean, it's not, it doesn't have to be perfect. It can be really raw and still be really good.
0: Yeah. I think it's even better when there's um, I like, it's better when um, you don't have like a college team. I'd rather see a high school team go through a clinic. And and actually we bring college, a college team out here. I would like to see a high school team kind of see how it's taught from the ground up. Maybe even like you were saying, you know, maybe how do you teach your fifth and sixth graders in your program? Because that's where it all starts, correct?
1: For good program. Yeah. And that's one of the tough things nowadays is a lot of, I see more and more feeder programs are getting fractured and, you know, it's just, a, a bunch of different teams rather than one program kind of led by the high school coach. And there's yeah. a lot of reasons for that, but you can see the programs that have it going down at the fourth, fifth, sixth grade level uh, and, and have systematic teaching and one vision rather than, you know, whatever dad is willing to take 10 kids and coach them. Uh, th- there's a big difference there. And, and that's not to knock those dads because the guy that I mean they have a special place in my heart because it's not easy to do I I just got done coaching a couple of fifth grade teams one of them that my son was on uh, this past year and it's that's a lot of time and it's <laughs> and it's not uh, it's not always easy and our, our parents were great but I know other coaches that have nightmares even at the fifth grade level with parents screaming at them and and, <laughs> and acting, you know, acting sure. foolish and, and at games and uh, so yeah there's there's a lot to be said for having a consistent program that kids grow
0: I think it's essential. Um, so that's part of your development phase, yeah. right? Yep. Which um, you better have an organized, systematic way, right? If you're going to be a championship level team consistently, you better yeah. have a development plan. Yes. And again, correct? not
1: just for yourself and for your staff, but for for the players. And so I, I think it I think it's important that you're communicating that you can communicate to your uh, to your staff to the people that are helping in your uh, how things should be taught. So yeah, that's that's a big part of the the development program.
0: Give me some feedback. I I know you probably know Sam I Allen do. from uh, point guard, and uh, Sam's a good friend of mine. And I met him. I have my team. I have my seventh and eighth grade team playing in a uh, uh, travel ball. Of course, right. nobody's playing right now. But I saw Sam and his team from Blue Collar. He had a, he was coaching a fifth grade team. He was saying. Kevin, this is the hardest thing I've ever <laughs> <Yeah>. done. <laughs> and this guy's a great teacher of the game, so I love how he was frustrated it, with it. But we were talking, and we th- I want your feedback on it. Like He was saying he's playing against teams that are so much better than him talent-wise, but I watched his team, and his team was very well coached, but I don't think the average person can see that he was teaching the right things. So, how would you teach, Rich, a okay, fifth grade kid? Well, honestly, I, we
1: just learned <laughs> the fundamentals like crazy. Um, you know, it was it's frustrating because you you almost have no choice but to play inside what most people will call a broken system. Uh, we we played very right. few teams that were just fifth graders, uh, and a lot of times we were playing sixth and seventh grade kids, which uh, just couldn't get enough bodies at the fifth grade level, or they just were worried about winning. Uh, We faced presses. We faced every zone you could imagine. I mean, everything under the sun. I'm not anti-zone at all. I mean, my last year at Crystal Lake Central, we we ran ball press, and I'm not anti-zone. However, uh, if you're just playing zone because you know sitting there in a 2-3 and maybe trapping every pass is going to make you win the game, uh, you're not really teaching your kids slides or anything. It's just, hey, just stand in these spots and then get the rebound. That's not teaching, and, and that's where I think you know zones get a bad rap at the, at the lower levels is they're not actually teaching the zone. They're standing in a zone. Uh, and, you know, maybe the problem is you've got all these different rules and all these different tournaments. Some, some you can press, some you can't. Uh, some are, you're going to be playing kids your age, and other ones you're going to be playing up a grade level or two. And at that age, that's a huge, huge difference. I mean, the difference in a seventh grader and a fifth grader is like body hair and B.O., you know, there's, it's, it's real, it's real, you know, it's, and it's like right. a foot at every position. And unfortunately, whether you like it or not, basketball is a discriminating game. Uh, the bigger, stronger kids at that serious advantage. So, um, yeah, so coach navigating that is tough. What you really have to do is you kind of have to, and this actually goes into to the E in my, uh, in my five here is expectations. You've got to manage expectations. Uh, you gotta ha- you gotta let the parents know this is what we're gonna be about. This is what we're gonna teach. This is what we're gonna try to get accomplished. The games aren't always gonna be pretty because there's gonna be just a very wide range of opponents. There's gonna be some games we win by thirty, some games we lose by thirty. Uh, it can't help the scoreboard. It's got to be are we trying? Are we putting in putting to the test the things we're working on in practice? And um, it's hard. It's really hard. I-, I I just went through a whole season of it with two different teams. Um, uh, you know, a travel team and a feeder team. And it was, um, I had the added complication of my son being on the team and, you know, the father son coach thing, it's, it's not easy either. Uh, But I really think you have to know what you believe in at that level. And that's why it's important for coaches who, you know, high school coaches who are going to eventually coach those kids, they should have some input and they should do everything they can to help these guys coaching feeder, because it's not easy. And, and, you know, I had the benefit of 20 plus years of coaching experience, and it was still it was hard for me. And so a dad who's just doing it out of goodness of the heart or, you know, loves basketball or played at a high level and hasn't coached anything. You know, that's really overwhelming. And it can be very quickly become about the scoreboard. It can become about all of a sudden be about what are we going to do to win? You know, if we put in this one three one zone, you know, we're going to win. We're going to we're going to win games. (laughs) But right know, at what cost? You know, are the kids learning the one-three-one? Are you actually teaching the slides and and uh, rebounding p- positioning on a shot? And are you teaching the things that they're going to need to know to run it effectively against a good team?
0: Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. I I um I I don't see it. At, I've been to a lot of tournaments, and I really do, I don't see a lot of good teaching. I do see some, um, but one thing that the only thing that really aggravates me is coaches who think they're coaching at the high college and pro level running up and down the sideline yelling and screaming at fifth grade kids um and that's something that really bothers me um but i think that's i think it's a broken system like you said really the focus on the result and the wins rather than the development that's a broken system
1: and i and i think there's there's a lot of (laughs) examples of it. And what you said with the you know the coaches that think they're coaching in the final four and they're screaming at kids and you know it's it's hard to watch exactly it's 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 sad to watch um but you know that i think if, if you were to try to i always try to put myself in their shoes and try to figure out what their perspective might be if it's about their ego then that's wrong if it's just that they're passionate and this is the only way they know how to show their passion well you know then have a conversation about that but uh the other thing that cracks me up i see parents of like fifth and sixth graders filming the game I always want to ask them, you know, I try to put myself in their shoes and try to figure out where they're coming from perspective wise. But I always want to ask them, hey, you you going to review that film with your kid after the game or what? You know, what's what's the need for it? Or maybe it's just, hey, I want to film it because the grandparents can't be here and I want to send it to them. And then that's awesome. You know, but uh, we tend to jump to a lot of conclusions these days. And, uh, you know, Alan Stein and I just got done uh, co-authoring a book for youth sports parents. that's going to come out this spring. Hope. Uh, and it's kind of, we took the approach of, look, you're not alone. <laughs> okay. There's y- 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 this whole keeping up with the Joneses thing, this whole idea of, uh, I have to do this or my kid's going to fall behind. You you don't have to, you know, take a step back, take a deep breath, take a look at what you really want your, your kid to, to be in life. Um, and if it's a hall of fame football player, then okay, well, <laughs> good luck to you. Um, <laughs> uh, but those are the types of things that I, I just think you see that. You go to youth sports tournaments, you see all kinds of uh, things and, and you, you jump to conclusions about what they're about. And uh, I like to just have conversations with people and try to figure out what they're about.
0: Yeah, and, and, and don't you agree, Coach, that, I mean, it, <clears throat> my philosophy is I want to quit my players with as many skills as possible that they can handle, they can do under a certain progression. And I think that makes them so much more better and gives them more confidence. Now, might some might learn it quicker than others, but to me, that's the best thing you can you can really do to a player. Right? It's particularly in the fifth, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, is really focus on that skill development. Is that something that's lacking now, or are we focusing more on? kids that are big and strong athletic, I don't think more athleticism is
1: lacking. I think there's lots of people out there that are doing a really nice job of teaching it and teaching coaches how to teach it. I think what happens is you focus all of your attention on that. And then you put them in one of those broken system games and it's too, the game's too fast for them. And they forget all of the stuff. They forget all the fundamentals. And now all of a sudden, right. all those habits you've been building get thrown out the window, just because there's a scoreboard and fans and, you know, the kid two years older than you, you know, taking the ball away from you. And now all of a sudden it's 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 stunting your development. And that's why, you know, you have to you have to find a way to get these guys to compete in competitive situations where it's not about who's going to get the you know chintzy gold medal at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, well, you walk in these tournaments, they yeah. have all the trophies right in front, things like that. I think I think you have to play for something. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And actually, Sam and I were talking about that. It's why do we have all these trophies in front? Maybe they should be playing for something else. But uh, your next, uh, you, you talk about manage expectations. Yeah, so
1: the E, the e, would, be, yeah, the, the e would be expectations. Yes, really, go ahead. This is kind of where you create your vision. And I think a lot of times when you're building a program, the mistake a lot of young coaches tend to make is they don't, they can't articulate their vision for the program. And if you can't sit down and articulate, this is what we want to be about. This is what my vision for us as a program is. Then you need to do some serious thinking and some soul searching because that's going to, that's going to then kind of shape mold and everything else you do. So expectations is, you know, what we expect from our players, what we expect from our coaching staff, Uh, how we expect our fans and our parents to behave in the stands and in meetings, you know, those expectations kind of are the, that's almost the result. It's how you gauge whether or not what you're doing is working. Uh, These are our expectations. Will you meet those expectations? Uh, What will you do to raise the bar? How do we raise the level of these expectations uh, and get to a higher level point? Uh, But if you don't, if you can't sit there and articulate your vision and your expectations for your program, then you don't really know if it's working or not. So that's I think that's an important piece in building the program as well.
0: Yeah, and other than the fact that, hey, you're yeah, trying to win a I region mean, championship, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we all put we, we that. We all said that in our program. Uh,
1: we said, listen, one of our goals is to win state championships. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's not to say that we're going to do that at all costs. We have other things that are important, too. Like, we want these to be – uh, positive members of their school and community. You know, that's important as well. We want them to be good students. That's what they're here for. Uh, but you, you get to that level when, when they get to high school, now those scoreboard does matter. And now, you know, kids are going to get weeded out and cut from teams and that type of thing. And coaches can uh, lose jobs. You know, those are things that are, that, that becomes real life. And so you have to have expectations around everything though. Uh, how we're going to dress for games, uh, what, what how we're going to warm up,
0: Hey, this is NBA Skills Coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and you are listening to the Championship Vision Podcast.
1: How we're going to what our team rules are going to be, uh, what we're going to hold each other accountable to—those are all expectations, and and winning is usually a byproduct of how uh, how well you meet the expectations in all the other areas.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I <clears throat> um, and let's be honest, not all expectations, every program is going to be a little bit different. You might run it a certain way. um, And these other programs might allow their kids a little bit more freedom. So everybody has different expectations. It's not always going to be the same thing
1: at all. You know, there's, you know, one of the things for our program for years was handshakes and eye contact. And obviously now that would get changed a little bit, but we, we would find some, some other way to show respect, you know, or we would do, you know, something along those lines. But, yeah, I mean, I and some people may think, ah, oh, yeah, that's not something I really think is important. That's fine. Uh, one of the other things uh, that goes along with that whole get all the good ideas, don't try to do all the good ideas, is you have to coach to your personality. You can't try to be someone else. I mean, you look at right. the guys that have had success in, in coaching, guys like Greg Popovich and Mike Shashevsky and, you know, Bobby Knight and John Wooden, and none of those guys are – like each other. <laughs> they are all, they all took very different approaches to how they teach the game and how they coach. And there's not one way to do it. And if you try to be someone you're not, you're not going to last because you're just not going to have, um, you know, your gut instincts are going to go against what you're preaching. And you have to be able to live what you, what you uh, are teaching kids.
0: Yeah, and that's the hardest thing to do is to be yourself, right? In coaching, isn't it to me? It's it, everybody says it, but it's so difficult because we try to emulate all the successful coaches. Um, but I think you can take a bits and pieces yeah. of them, but uh, you yeah, do I have to be you yourself, last, right? Yeah, Rich? I think
1: the guys that try to be someone else are the guys that don't last very long, yes, guys and girls. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Coach, tell me absolutely, tell me how this virus is going to affect us for the future. I mean, you already. Each day, there's a new – there's somebody else getting the virus, whether that's a pro athlete. Yesterday was Sean Payton, uh, you know, Kevin Durant. How is this going to affect not only our society but our game of basketball? And when do you think we're going to get back into oh, playing man, I, even I, I high school I could sports? answer that
1: question, but I, I, I can't even speculate this – this is unlike anything we've ever seen. Um, I think it's, I think they're like all things, there are going to be benefits to it. Uh, and obviously a ton of, uh, detriment as well. Um, the benefits I, I hope are people starting to appreciate how good we have it, uh, especially in basketball. I mean, I, my son is outside in the driveway today. It's 28 degrees outside. He's shooting because he missed, you know, he misses it. And, you know, he's, <laughs> he just wants to go over to his right, buddy's house sure. and, and play. And, and, you know, he, he, kind of keeping them away from that. I I said, look, you guys can go out and shoot hoops in the driveway, but I don't want anybody in each other's houses. You know, it's just, you have to look at things completely differently now, but I think it's going to give us so much more of an appreciation of just being able to go walk down the street and visit a neighbor or uh, go down and, you know, to the park or to the gym and play basketball. And, you know, these things that are, we're kind of depriving ourselves of for the greater good right now are, are things that we're going to miss. And and hopefully um, the things that we take for granted in life. Uh, we don't take for granted quite so much anymore in terms of when we're going to start playing again. I mean, you know, with the NBA, I, I don't know. I don't know what that's going to look like. I, I think there's a logistical problem with trying to play into the fall. Um, I think as the more and more guys are getting it now, you have to worry about, you know, what if we start up and then um, and then someone gets it again and we have to stop or what if, what if they do somehow get to an NBA final, right. uh, you know, it's LeBron and, and Giannis and both of them come down with it. Well, <laughs> now they have to sit out the finals, and that I mean, it's just there's so many things to think about that you have no control over. Uh, I, I think is I think we have to be very very careful with when we start doing those things, and it's horrible. And, and I feel so bad for those athletes who are seniors that don't get to play in tournaments. Uh, but one of the things I heard Gino Oriema say the other day that just really hit home for me was: Look, every parent wants their kid to play in the NCAA tournament. Uh, he said until their kid contracts it, and that's somebody's fault. And I, I just think, I just think we have to be safe. We have right. to be careful. We have to look out for each other. Um, and it, it, basketball is what we love. And what's amazing is we're finding other ways to express that love. You know, this, this virtual coaching clinic that's out there, these uh, trainers getting online and taking kids through workouts, you know, K through five PE teachers giving 30 minute activities for kids. I mean, there's you're finding, you're finding new and, and, and right. different ways Um People safe, but also keep them engaged, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And you know, (laughs) you look around everywhere, and I'm guilty of this as much as anybody. And and you're constantly making the the excuse of I I don't have time, I have too much on my plate. I'm you know I'm driving our three kids around to all these different things, and this is a big pause button, man. This is this is like the this is going to be the biggest reset button we ever get in our lifetimes. And so the habits that we create. Reset time are going to stick with us when we come out of it, uh, and I think we need to be aware of that. I think people need to stay engaged and 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 keep feeding their brains and keep working out and feeding their bodies and and but doing it in a way that you're not going to infringe upon somebody else possibly. And honestly, I think if we'll just do that, if we'll if we'll, and here I'm the, here I said I have no idea, and I've got all these ideas. Um, I think if we'll just if we'll just kind of <laughs> stay the course for a little while right. and have the discipline to to look out for, for everyone else. I, I don't think it's going to take that long to come out of this stuff, but, um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just going off what I read and what I see and, and what I hear. And I, there's probably a lot going on that I don't even know about it. We don't know about, and that's why I think the overabundance of caution is a good idea. You know, this, the, and that, that, that I'll, that all I'm yeah. Sorry, you it, go ahead first. I,
0: No, no, go ahead, Rich. Uh, I I love what you're saying. saying, I mean, mean, go go ahead, continue on.
1: Category that I that I added after a few years as a coach. Um, So we have the A, B, C, D, and E, and then the the sixth one is a bonus. That's the F, which is family. And I think it's so important. And obviously, this whole situation speaks to this. It is so important for coaches to include their family in their program. Um, I think it's it's you have to figure out if you have a family, how are they going to be made to feel a part of your program, and then how if someone asked your players, if they feel like a part of your extended family, what would they say? And I think you have to have both of those things. I think your players need to know your family and, and for coaches who don't have family yet for the young single coaches, they need to think about, okay, how am I going to incorporate family eventually? How am I going to get a family if I'm constantly if I'm at the gym 20 hours a day or the office 20 hours a day? Um, but <laughs> that has to transcend. Right. If you want to have any kind of uh, durability in coaching and, and, and length of, of, you know, of a career, your family has to feel a part of it. And you have to share with them. They have to, they have to feel like they're part of the program. Uh, because if you isolate yourself from that, those are t- the, the two biggest things in your life, not, you know, being at odds almost. And that's never a healthy thing for anybody. It's not healthy for marriages, it's not healthy for uh, father-child relationships. I mean, you have to make them a part of it. And that was something we worked really, really hard to do uh, in our, in our years as a, uh, as a, uh, with our basketball program was to make, make it feel like a big fan. And, and that, that part is huge. And and the kids have to, the players in your program have to feel that also. They have to feel that, you know, coach's wife is there for us if we need something or uh, I, I would love to, you know, babysit for the girls or you know, that type of thing. Like those things are important um, to have a long, any kind of a long career.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And your players have to see that. Right. So you're just not just focusing on yourself. They have to see that you can care about others uh, in the real life. You're
1: modeling for these, you know, in my case, young men, if you're coaching girls, these young women, you're trying to model, Hey, this is what a healthy family dynamic looks like. And, you know, someday, someday they're going to be fathers and and, and mothers and uh, spouses. And they need to know, they need to know what that looks like. They need to know it's okay that, that uh, coach, you know, coach can, take a day off to be with his family. It's not, it's not just about coaching the team. And, and then it also gives them the perspective of, you know, he has kids. <laughs> he, he is a father. He is uh, this, my coach is a mother is, is someone who cares about their own kids. Uh, and it just humanizes you a little bit more. Sometimes, you know, the, the old school quote unquote, old school drill sergeant type coaches, people forget that they have families and uh, and have hearts and it's not a bad thing to let your players see your heart.
0: Right, and I think you mentioned something. Even a, a positive sign of, of the virus is people are spending, you know, more times at home. I think there's a lot of coaches' wives out there probably saying, yeah, well, hey, yeah, I haven't seen, seen him in a so long sure, time." Guys saying, "Hey, um, have of no
1: basketball." I met uh, this girl sitting on the couch. She's my wife. You know, that's you know, she seems she she seems nice. She seems nice. That that <laughs> it's stuff right. we're joking about, but honestly. I mean, I can't remember the last time I've spent, other than on vacations, I can't remember spending this much time with my Mm. wife and kids and it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, I feel the same way. And I I think, uh, of course, now with the, with the online learning, right, Rich, I mean, parents are now involved. It's almost like a whole school environment.
1: I think I want to be careful with that statement because um, I don't want to take away from the people who do homeschool their kids for, you know, all the time because, because that's not easy. I mean, the, right. the, the parents sure. that are taking the kids through the e-learning right now, they are getting a heck of a lot of guidance from teachers who are still, who are still out there doing their job, which sure. is also important to, to point out. I mean, it's, it, they're not our kids. And I mean, my wife is a teacher and, and, you know, our kids aren't. Uh, learning from her only, you know, they're getting stuff from their kindergarten teacher and their fifth grade teacher, they're getting materials. Uh, So that whole, I I do think this is a great opportunity for us to take a look at our whole educational system in general, in terms of what we, you know, what of what are we doing that we've, we just do because we've always done it versus, Hey, maybe, maybe there are some new that can come out of this thing that'll help kids learn better uh, more quickly, more efficiently. Uh, Maybe parents getting involved a little bit more isn't a terrible idea. Um, I, I do think there's a lot that we're going to learn from this experience in terms of our educational system. But there's no, but just like just like coaching clinics, I told, there's no, there's yeah. not going to be a, 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 a an online substitute for the live teaching experience. There just there just isn't that that social interaction is so important.
0: I think you you mentioned a great idea because our head of school is actually telling us that, that this is actually the wave of the future where he's saying online learning plus live learning is actually very positive for kids. They're actually getting both so they can get that we have actually have video. We have classroom videos where actually we film all the lessons. So if a kid misses, we have a lot of kids that travel. So if they travel or sick, they get that yeah, lesson yeah. for so that I, day, I, I which I think that. is really and cool. Think
1: about that. That solves a problem that you've had for years as a teacher. If a kid misses a class, misses a lesson, unless you get into the classroom and actually teach that thing over again. And you know how it is. I mean, when you when people, people speak at clinics, you never really give the same presentation sure. twice. You know, it's, it gets a little bit better every time you – You're a little more focused. You tweak it here and there. So, I mean, every time you do it, it gets a little better, but it's different. So there's always that problem in the back of teachers' heads where, oh, this kid missed a week of school. There's really no way to catch them up on the lessons they missed. You can hand them worksheets. You can take them through it one-on-one. But if you had a video of you actually doing the thing, well, now you're keeping the kids all on the same level playing field in terms of how they're learning things.
0: Yes. And I, I'm even thinking you made me think because, you know, even in practices, you know, let's say a kid misses a, you know, two practices because he or she is sick, that kid should actually get, you should actually film your practice, yeah. which we do and actually send that to him. I think that's, to me, that, I think that's a, a simple thing we can do because you know, how many kids miss yeah. practice yeah. Well, lots in of the things. season I mean, for sickness,
1: college visits, sickness, uh, <laughs> injury. There's all kinds of things that that can cause it. So, yeah like i said i think i think the way to go go into this whole quarantine lifestyle is to try to try to get better try to learn try to learn try to solve problems uh that now we're forced to solve that we haven't really been forced to solve in the past
0: absolutely coach talk to me about uh pure sweat because you guys um of course i'm a big fan of drew hamlin i i have all his videos i i I use all his drills. Uh, I love the guy. But tell me about what you guys are doing. What's the next level for, for Pure Sweat or for those people sure, who um, don't really know what Pure Sweat Drew is? Drew has about? a real
1: passion for helping coaches and players. I mean, he does. And I've always been drawn to people like that. Um, you know, I've worked with people who have that same passion. And uh, just this past year, our plan for 2020 is kind of. Uh, almost ominous, but our plan for 2020 was to build out this online school where Drew basically teaches everything he knows in um, in different areas of the game. And the, the plan is for about 48 different courses. Uh, we've got them kind of sketched out already. He's got about half of them scripted already. Uh, we're filming three of them now. Uh, he found a private gym <laughs> that he can actually get into. Uh, he's, filming, he's filming three now, and, <laughs> and we've got five right. Up right now with another one about to launch. But the idea is basically to help help coaches and players that can take these courses uh and, and go through things and learn so it's it's kind of it's kind of a it's kind of eerie that it's um we're in the times that we're in now and it makes more and more sense for these things um but you know drew and i talked the other day i said we have to be real careful here because this was our plan prior to all of this and i don't want things to come across like we're trying to take advantage of a bad situation i said our our focus needs to be on let's make the best of a bad situation right and so, you know, we've been a little bit hesitant to go too far in terms of marketing and charging for these things and that type of thing. We're trying to figure all that out. But uh, between that and then the virtual basketball training app uh, that Pure Sweat has uh, that can take kids through workouts, you basically tell the, you tell the player or the coach how much time you have and what areas you want to work on and what skill level you're at. And then it builds a workout for you. Uh, that's another thing that's been really good. And again, something that's being used far more now when, when kids can't get into gyms or in to see their, their coaches. So um, really w- we acquired uh, pro scout school in Las Vegas and virtual scout school. Um, so we're, we're getting into the live events, What we're trying to do is as much as possible scale Drew's teachings. And uh, you know, obviously he's got the results. Uh, 2020 is about results for us and helping players get results. Uh, he's gotten results with his all-star NBA players that he works with, uh, that he's been working with for a long time. And um, we're just trying to help scale that as much as we can so that there's quality teaching out there for everybody. Uh, we've got skills coaches around the country who have kind of gone through uh, either a mentorship program with Drew or they've been with the, the company since day one. They understand the, the game skills, game results philosophy. Um, so but there's, a, there's not, enough, not enough of those guys and it's really hard to, to scale that part of it. So we're trying to scale as much as we can with technology.
0: And how, how how can you connect? I'm a, I I coach high school girls and um, how can you connect with a high school coach? How could we connect with you to get the most benefits? So if I have, you know, I have a, I'm going to have a pretty talented team, kind of mostly guards. I have one big, but how can I, cause I, I, I use a lot, a lot of Drew's drills. But how can I be more connected to you, know, you we're, guys we're I can get more feedback?
1: Um, so Drew has a next mentorship program, but that's really more for people who want to become uh, kind of a skills coach or do what he does for a living. But we're about to roll out through this new platform that we've built uh, for the online school, um, kind of a program, exactly what you're talking about. It's, it'd be a way for uh, the average high school coach to connect, kind of get a roadmap of what's out there in terms of courses and, and the virtual training app, but then also be able to get feedback, uh, kind of a, I guess, a virtual clinic, so to speak, uh, with, you know, a monthly or biweekly group call where coaches can ask Drew questions and things. It's, it's just tough to scale that uh, at times, because, you know, if you've been on one of those group calls where there's 50 people, uh, you know, everybody, everybody's raising their hands with questions. And sometimes somebody misses right. one of the answers and they ask the same question, that type of thing. It can be tough. So we're trying to uh, we're trying to innovate. We're trying to innovate new technologies that will help that. And we've got a project coming up here that I think uh, that I'm pretty excited about that I think will speak to exactly what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, I I think it's definitely needed. Um, And I'm one of those that, you know, I, I do all my own camps and clinics and all that, but I love to have feedback. So I love to say, Hey, Drew, Hey, can you take a look at my Destiny McClendon who's, you know, really good player. It's like, man, I just don't like how she's finishing. Can you take a look at her and what are a couple of drills? You know what I'm saying? Just simple stuff that another eye can see. Because sometimes us as coaches, we don't see everything. We think we do. But another eye, like Rich, tell me what you think about sure. this particular yeah, yeah. player's shot well, for. I, I
1: Does that make sense? What's interesting about that, and this is kind of – this is this uh, this network we're building – Uh, What's interesting about that is everybody's going to see that a little bit differently. And maybe somebody says something that's the same. What you're saying, but that what the way they said, it clicks with the, with the player a little bit better. Uh, And so I think, and again, it's about being able to scale. And obviously you can't have Drew sitting at a computer uh, 20 hours a day answering these questions, but there are other ways, there are other ways and technologies (laughs) that we can help uh, those situations. And that's, like I said, we've been trying to innovate through this thing and we're about to launch a platform uh, here in the next probably week or two that I think I think we'll address some of that for you.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Because I think yeah. I had John Beck. Uh, I know you know John probably. Um, and I, I sent him a video of Destiny and so forth. And he sent something back to me. And um, it was just great feedback. I mean, he has more insight into the skill development game than I do. So I'm always looking for expert opinion. Uh, but don't you think coaches, we need to be more humble, tabular humility and not be afraid to yeah, seek other coaches advice. That and it that might I be critical
1: through in, in my, uh, seminar topics, uh, when I'm talking to young coaches in particular, uh, that you do have to humble yourself. Uh, you know, I'm doing right now. One of my favorite presentations to do is, um, how to go from know it all to over yourself in four life changing moves <laughs> and, the, uh, that presentation talks about needing to humble yourself in order <laughs> right. to learn because, um, you know, it's kind of like what we talked about earlier, that young coach who asks you a question and then in, wh- interrupts you while you're answering it to kind of jump in and say, yeah, I know that, or this is what I know. Uh, the, that is the biggest roadblock to learning is sure. feeling like you already know, you know? And, and one of the things I talk about in that presentation is listen, when you're, when you meet somebody and you're talking to them, they are the most important person in the room you already know what you know, find out what they know. That's a, That's something that not enough coaches uh, do because a, a lot of times, like you said, they're, they're kind of, it's almost an ego thing. They don't want to, they don't want to look dumb or, you know, they, they don't want to uh, show a chink in the armor speak or a weakness by asking a question. And uh, that's just the, that's the wrong way to approach it if you want to learn.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, coach. And I I know you're busy and you have to go. My last question, though, is coaching assessment. I think, what do you recommend? What's the best measure of a coach after a season by his or her athletic director? Because I don't think there's too many ADs that know how to assess other than the final record. Uh, What do you recommend? Um, Because I do my own assessment, but what do you recommend for athletic directors out there? How do you assess your coach? Let's say I go six and 20, but my team really gets better. Uh, I think that's where that expectations piece comes in. Um,
1: you, I think results are always going to have to be part of assessment, but it doesn't just have to be one loss record for your results. Maybe your team GPA was 3.7 and last year it was 3.2. Uh, maybe you did five community projects that, help the school and the community around the school. Uh, maybe, you know, you had a, a, a player having a rough time personally and basketball saved them. I mean, I think these are all things that have to be taken into consideration because coaches aren't just about wins and losses. Unfortunately, most assessments are going to be based strictly on your one loss record. And obviously at the college level, that's more, more true than, uh, than at the high school level. But there are some high school situations where that's the case. Right. Uh, so I think that expectation piece is important. Uh, I think that connection piece with the administration is important. And if you align those two things, you have a, a relationship with your athletic director or your principal, uh, and you're aligned on what the vision of, of, you know, what to expect is, then the assessment should be pretty easy. It should be, here's, here's the expectations you had for this season. Here are the results. Uh, did you do a good job or did you do a good job? If you didn't do a good job, what's your plan to raise, you know, get, get to those expectations next year? And if you did do a good job, what are you going to do to raise the level of those expectations for next year? I think that's what uh, assessment should probably be based on. Uh, But again, I think those all those other pieces have to be in place first. You have to have an alignment, a connection and you have to have an alignment of expectations. Um, I don't personally believe that one loss record tells the whole story. (laughs) There are so many things that go into a season, nothing to do with the wins and losses. I mean, maybe you've got a team full of sophomores and juniors playing against a senior heavy conference. Uh, Maybe you've got a group of seniors who, you know, just haven't bought into what you're doing uh, if you're taking over a program and maybe you need to build from the lower levels up. Uh, Maybe you've got one or two uh, parents or board members or faculty members even who have it out for you for some reason, and they're causing problems you don't know about in your locker. I mean, these are all things that have to be taken into consideration. And I think the assessment should...
0: Yeah, those are great points. And and some of those things, like you said, are kind of out of your control. But there's a lot of things I feel a coach has in his or her control, right? Um, and particularly, you have to be – would you recommend that coaches need to assess and re-eval, uh, reevaluate themselves throughout yeah, the, the season and at the end of the season? The of the call call the call season?
1: Call I don't think there's enough of that trying to figure out what, you know, what happened, but um, I I think that self-assessment's important. I think if you have a staff that you trust, uh, you need to have a a culture within your staff meetings where um, an administrator, or I'm sorry, an assistant coach doesn't feel like they can't speak up if they see something they don't like or don't agree with. I think think one of the best things that I always had on my coaching staffs was I had assistant coaches that we would fight tooth and nail over a point, you know, we're going to close out or, you know, what we're going to teach for rebounding or, or whatever. And we would just fight and fight and fight in a, in a staff meeting behind closed doors. And then whatever we decided on, whatever I, as the head coach decided on that assistant always backed it a hundred percent. Like it was his own idea. I think that's a huge dynamic to having coaching staffs and the same would be with the assessment. They have to be able to speak up. You have to have assistant coaches who aren't afraid to say, Hey coach, I just don't understand this. Why are we doing this? This is, this is what I see is wrong with this. And then that can be a good thing for a head coach. You can then sit there and defend your stance, then and change their mind. Even then, maybe it isn't so bad after all. You know, perspective is important, and I think what has to happen in those in those assessment situations is, you know, if you're a coach and you know what you believe in, and you can articulate and defend what you believe in and why you do the things you do, then as long as you stick to those principles, you should be able to look yourself in the mirror every morning. You should be able to sleep at night, and if other people out control have a problem with it this goes back to you have to coach to who you are so maybe it's not meant for you to be in that in that job for 30 years you know because the people around you don't agree with you but if you go try to coach to what they want you to be or have the policies that they want you to have and things don't go well now you're now you're really kicking yourself because you sold out what you believe in to make other people happy and it still didn't work out because you can't coach that way.
0: Right. I mean, I, and Rich, I really appreciate it. those. Those are great ideas and so forth. And uh, I think you have to really have to, kind of, you have to believe in yourself. It goes back to that again. Right. And sometimes, right, coach, if you're not, if you're not getting the support that you need, maybe, you, you know, maybe this is not the correct school for you sometimes, right? Sometimes you have to just, you know, pick up your bags and go. Sometimes you hate to say that. But you need Without to be question. at a school where there is support. That, all to Unfortunately, that's a hard throughout.
1: decision to make, especially if you love the the players or the community in general. Sometimes things just aren't a fit, and it, it's it doesn't make it any easier to walk away. But you have to ask yourself: Is my quality of life going to be worse sticking right. around here, um, knowing what I know, or knowing you know knowing what the support looks like? And and that's tough. That's tough for coaches because you always want to anytime you always want a situation to work, you know, and coaches always go and do it. It'd be great. We're going to do it. All the things, these things the right way, everybody's going to buy in. Uh, and all it takes is one person who has some, something against you for whatever reason, and they can grow that into many people. And so you, you just have to kind of keep your eyes open and your ears open and um, stick to what you believe in. I think that's the best advice you can give somebody.
0: That's great advice. And is that the one piece of advice? Uh, my, my final overtime question is one piece of advice you would offer a new coach, maybe going to be starting this June, you know, with his team for the summer. Is that, is that the best you know, piece that, of advice it, you would offer him? A, little bit.
1: a first year coach who's never coached before. Uh, and unfortunately too many guys like that are getting jobs these days. And I, I don't mean that as a knock on those guys. I mean, of course you're going to take the first job you, you can get, uh, but, but I think we put guys into tough situations sometimes without right. a support network. Uh, so my advice would actually be build, use this opportunity to build what you believe in, uh, use the resources that you have. And if you don't have resources, go looking for them. I think everybody needs a mentor, uh, as much as everybody should try to be a mentor to other people. Um, uh, young coaches in particular need mentors. They need people they can trust around them, build your support network and then build what you believe.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think you gotta know, you gotta get out, you gotta meet other coaches, particularly coaches, right, Rich, that are, have been successful and develop that that connection, that relationship as part of what you said in your C's. Rich, thank you so much for sharing, man. I learned so much. I really appreciate you taking the time out. I know this is difficult times and so forth, but hopefully some coaches will connect with us and, uh, and uh, really pick up what you were saying, but I really uh, appreciate well. it. And I want you to keep thank your you family, keep yourself healthy. It. Thank you for coming on. Uh, Rich, thank you so much. Have a great day and I uh, wish you the best. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Hey, this is NBA skills coach, Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball. And I'd love to help you get game results this season check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today.
1: Hello, my name is Rory Hamilton. I'm the head girls basketball coach at Norman North High School in Norman, Oklahoma. If you're looking for top-notch basketball coaching instruction and help, look no further than the Championship Vision podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. You can listen about our five keys to success at Norman North Girls Basketball, along with many other podcasts at championshipvision.org, or listen on Spotify at Championship Vision. Happy hooping.